0: In 1978, Rick Ridgway was on the first American team to reach the summit of K2, the second highest mountain in the world. After a long career as a professional adventurer, Ridgway is now Vice President of Environmental Initiatives at the outdoor clothing company Patagonia. Today he's devoting his life to the preservation of wildlife corridors across North America, Working with a coalition of environmental protection groups and major corporations, Ridgeway is helping to establish and maintain clear pathways that allow animal species to travel freely from one habitat to another. Called Freedom to Roam, this program aims to raise awareness for the importance of wildlife protection by telling the stories of the animals themselves.
1: One of the tools that we use in Frem Terome to, to get people interested in this idea of wildlife preservation through the safeguarding of wildlife corridors is by telling stories about wildlife that resonate with people. That capture their interest. And one of the poster animals of our initiative is a wolverine that wildlife biologists named M3 that was tagged with a radio collar to uplink its location every five minutes.
2: We used to roll down the hill just for the thrill of being dizzy. But then we got too busy.
0: By keeping tabs on this wolverine called M3, scientists can track his movements and understand in real time just how far a wolverine might roam. So in the
1: case of M3, he wandered from Glacier National Park up into the Waterton Lakes protected area in Canada and Alberta. Then he went west all the way over into British Columbia and roamed widely there before returning to Montana. But what really captures people's interest is that once he was collared, the biologists were astounded to see that to get to Canada, he left the Glacier National Park by ascending the highest mountain in the park, Mount Cleveland, all the way to the summit in the middle of February. And once he got to the top, he hung out on top, kind of taking the view in before he, he headed north. Yeah, 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 so let's dance
2: between the meadow grass and the more sun.
0: Now what's cool about M3's journey is that, just like humans might, the Wolverine climbed to the top of Mount Cleveland for no good reason. In the dead of winter, there was likely very little food on the summit. Chances are there was a much more direct route from his home in Montana to the Canadian Rockies in Alberta. And it would seem that M3 climbed to the top of Mount Cleveland simply for the sake of climbing, just like we might. And it's anthropomorphic,
1: sure, but yet it's so intriguing and compelling to think of this animal up there on top of this mountain in the middle of forever, just kind of looking around and taking it in. And it captures people's fancies. It, 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 it gives them an empathy for this animal, and most importantly, an empathy for its need to be able to move widely from one place to another. Because if it doesn't have the ability to do that, it's, gonna, it's not going to make it.
2: Think what a good friend you've always been Coming to my rescue And I like you
0: like Just like humans, animals have the same inherent need to move from place to place. Species such as caribou, wolves, elk, and mountain lions traverse the landscape traveling hundreds of miles between grounds used for breeding, hunting, or grazing, and in some cases, like in the case of M3, to simply live out their lives in the joyful pursuit of happiness. But in our rush to develop and civilize the natural world, human beings are disrupting the corridors through which these animals pass from one habitat to the next, and in the process, we're putting at risk our own future on the planet. Environmental activists like Rick Ridgway are working to protect these passageways while defending our freedom to roam. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project.
2: So let's dance between the meadow grass and the morning.
0: started your career in climbing
1: yeah well I'm fairly well known as a mountaineer and in the 70s and 80s I was fortunate to participate in some of the big landmark expeditions that did a sense of the big peaks back in those decades and perhaps the for me personally anyway the biggest one was the first American ascent of K2 the second highest mountain in the world which we did back in 1978 but my interest in mountaineering started in the early 60s when in fact I uh, I saw in National Geographic the article on the first American ascent of Mount Everest and I remember so clearly seeing that article and just thinking you know that's what I want to do I want to be one of those guys in the magazine I want to be that guy standing on the summit you know the highest mountain in the world And the emblematic photograph from that issue was Jim Whittaker standing on the summit of Everest, the first American to climb that mountain. And then when I, in the mid-70s, was invited to go on the K-2 expedition, it turned out it was led by Jim Whittaker. And when we returned from that trip, the National Geographic also covered that climb. And I opened my mailbox one day and pulled out the magazine that had the story on our climb. And, And there I was on the cover of National Geographic on K2 and then years later in the 90s I was on another mountaineering expedition in Antarctica with a new generation of climbers including Conrad Anker the preeminent American mountaineer who during that trip told me that when he was a young boy he'd open his mailbox and pull out National Geographic and saw that picture of me on the cover and that's what got him started and then after that expedition the Geographic covered our Antarctica climb, and when that story came out, Conrad was on the cover, so I called him up and I said, Conrad, there's some young kid out there who's just now opening his mailbox, looking at the magazine, and being inspired to follow in all of our footsteps.
0: So tell me how that experience informed the work that you're doing now. You're now the, um, the leader of a pretty dynamic organization called Freedom to Roam. What is it about those early days in your climbing experience that made you do the work that you're doing now?
1: Well, my present dedication to conservation and habitat and wildlife preservation uh, absolutely had its roots in my passion for mountaineering, because especially in the 60s and 70s, when that was the entire focus of my life, you know, I got into my soul a love for wild places. And and in fact, that's what really initiated my interest in, in mountaineering. And then in the 80s and 90s, as I couldn't help but notice how many of those places that I so dearly loved were being degraded by different kinds of development in particular, and then later by the effects of climate change on the glaciers melting right in front of my eyes. Uh, For me, anyway, you can't help but but conclude that you need to do something about it, that instead of just climbing a mountain and being, as the famous French climber Lionel Touré said, a conqueror of the useless— that you need to get involved in trying to do what you can as an individual to safeguard those wild places that have so made me who i am so in this second half of my life as it were you know the post 50 half that's what i'm up to you know i'm still a a mountaineer and i still love climbing uh, just as passionately as I always have but now I'm spending more of my time trying to figure out what I can do as an individual to again safeguard those habitats and the wild animals within those wild lands that I so love.
0: The concept freedom to roam as I understand it basically is designed to create and maintain preserved corridors where animals in particular can can make it from one Breeding or feeding ground to the next. What is your work doing to make that happen?
1: The wild lands that wildlife depend on uh, are increasingly becoming fragmented because of development, you know, because of logging and mining, and, and especially the expansion of suburbs and ranchettes. All those things chop up habitat so that the remaining areas in which wildlife has to survive are smaller and isolated from one another to the extent that often they're too small for the long-term needs of the survival of certain species. So what do you do about that? Well, certainly you try to minimize and prevent habitat fragmentation as much as you can. But then beginning about 15 or 20 years ago, wildlife biologists recognized that if you could connect these fragmented habitats, connect them with wildlife corridors so that animals can move from one place to another, then the effective size of their habitats, even if fragmented, can become big enough to ensure their long-term survival. So now, in the face of climate change, further impacting habitats, that in addition to habitat fragmentation, you now have habitat shifting from climate change, the need for connectivity in landscapes is greater than ever. So we believe that identifying the key corridor habitats and making sure that they're safeguarded against fragmentation, against the threats of climate change, is arguably the most strategically effective way of ensuring wildlife survival through the century and into the next. That's what Freedom to Rome is about. It's about bringing together a broad coalition of corporations, of government agencies, of private non-government organizations to collaboratively work together to identify the corridor hotspots across the United States and Canada and then figure out strategies to bring permanent protection to those places.
0: I heard you describe a wide coalition of partners in basically being able to to draw as many players into this conversation as possible. One of the things that you're doing is that you're telling stories about these places that are in need of preservation and why it's important. Is the message resonating with all of those players? I mean, people like BP Petroleum, Microsoft, corporate entities that may or may not have a, that's an interest in wildlife preservation.
1: Increasingly, more people are becoming aware of the threats to wildlife from fragmentation, uh, from continued human development, and now from climate change, especially from climate change. That awareness has expanded exponentially in the last three years. Since the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued the first of their three-part report beginning in early 2007, that predicted that even under the modest uh, predictions for climate change's effect on habitats, that if nothing is done, fully s- 50, 60, 70 of the, percent of the wildlife on this planet is going to go extinct before the end of this century. And no one knows what the effects of that might be on our own species, but increasingly more people are starting to sense that there is an enormous threat to us, uh, to the ability for our own species to survive. So that increased awareness is an opportunity to bring people together to safeguard wildlife that previously might not have been willing to sit at the same table together.
0: So if there's any one thing that you want people to know about freedom to roam, what would it be?
1: Well, the thing that we want to leave people uh, inspired uh, by is the need to uh, figure out how we can do our business. We, human beings, can do our business on this planet in ways that are compatible with the long-term survival needs of the wild animals with whom we share this planet. Because how tragic would it be if we didn't do that? How tragic would it be if we allowed our brethren creatures to go extinct? We're not going to lose all of them. But we're going to lose, perhaps, the most inspirational ones. And what we're going to be left with are the species that are, that are most adaptable to us, you know, with the cockroaches and the sparrows and the pigeons and the rats. Now, I don't want to live in a world that just has those weed species uh, with us as the only survivors. That's not the kind of magical earth that, that I want to leave for my kids. So I want to do something about it. And we want to bring other people on board who also wanna do something about it. Cause
2: I believe that where you begin and where you end are nowhere near the paradise you'll find in the journey. Oh yeah, as a whole.
0: You can learn more about Rick Ridgeway and his work to protect wildlife corridors online at freedomtorome.org. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by Sly Joe and the Smooth Operators. The Joy Trip Project is brought to you thanks to the generous support of our sponsors. Recreational Equipment Incorporated, REI, in Patagonia. We don't take money from just anyone. Sponsors of the Joy Trip Project support our mission of an active lifestyle through outdoor recreation and community involvement. Support us by supporting them. Find links to their websites on ours at joytripproject.com. Thanks for listening, but you know, we want to hear from you. So please, drop us a message by email at info at joytripproject.com you'll also find us on facebook share your pictures and your stories share your passion for outdoor recreation environmental conservation acts of charitable giving and practices of sustainable living and you just might inspire our next joy trip together but most of all don't forget to tell your friends until next time take care